If you're interested in sponsoring How You Play the Game, please email us at podcast at osipfoundation.org. Your sponsorship may be tax deductible. Please remember, these episodes are considered for mature audiences only. There is some language and some mature discussion. I, uh, I had an opening. It had to do with me uh, practicing my dialects. I thought about it last night in the shower, mm. and then I went to bed, mm-hmm. and now all I can remember is the vague topic and not the line that I was using. Okay. And uh, it's kind of like the uh, the Seinfeld episode where Jerry uh, sees the the funny thing and he writes it down. Right. And he can't he can't read it, and then he at the at the end he's like, "That's it," mm. and then he's like, "That's not funny." Yeah. You know. Yeah. So so it's probably for the best then that I didn't remember it. If, if, if that was, if I, if I thought of it in the shower, then it's probably for the best that I didn't remember it. Does it have anything to do with Egypt being in Montana? Um, no. Okay. No. Now, if you want, I'll check a map real quick. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. okay. Someone stole the map. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. We'll never that's know. it. Well, no, we can't do the podcast now. Nope. All right. Well, let's we have just... to hire a cartographer. Oh well, good. Good thing uh, they that's a gr- dying. That's a dying. Uh, <laughs> that's a dying trade, isn't it? Who, who goes to college and says, "I want to be a cartographer"? Hey, listen. If we land on other planets, we, we're going to need them. We're going to need them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> wasn't Wasn't the cartographer a thing from Halo, the original Halo? In what res- was that a? There was something with, with in the very first Halo game. There was a, mm-hmm. there was something called the cartographer. I think uh, I think it had something to do with aliens and mass extinction. I mean, I I know that. I mean, I played that. I mean, it's been twenty years since I played that game. But well, then let's get back on it. I mean, why has it been twenty years? I you know. Should, let's yeah. get in the game here, folks. You I know? know what is this amateur hour? Yeah, come on. All right. We well, should just stop the podcast now and go play Halo. Yes. Yes, we absolutely should. In it's fact, been great. it's been great, everyone. Thank you yeah. so much for listening to how you play the game. <laughs> yeah. In fact, in fact, I'll, I'll do it one further. Um, let's let's quit our jobs, and yeah. do and do it then. That's a good idea. Okay. Right now, sure. Hey, I I am I I never said I was a genius, mm-hmm. but I never said I wasn't a genius. Right. Okay. I, or as my dad says, I might not. Oh, I might not always be right, but I'm never wrong. There you go. <laughs> I think I think what you just described is uh, Joe West. <laughs> uh, speaking of Joe West, welcome to How You Play the Game, everybody. <laughs> the official podcast of the... Uh, Sean's about to spit his coffee out all over the computer. Uh, the official podcast of the Yosef Foundation Incorporated. Yours truly, Jack, for along with you as we talk to you about what's going on as far as the world of sportsmanship is concerned. This is the first episode of the month of October. The year is 2020. As always, you can get in touch with the show. The website is osipfoundation.org. The email address is podcast at osipfoundation.org. And social media is facebook.com slash osipfoundation and Twitter and Instagram, both at Foundation hashtag how you play the game across from me. Spitting his coffee out is the producer engineer, Mr. Sean Ryan. Hello, Sean. How are you? There is some cinnamon and cloves in it. Oh, the French. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. No. I, uh, it's, it's, it's like lukewarm by now, though. Yeah. I've, had, I've been nursing this since like, like 
nine o'clock this morning. That's and that's and and seeing how it's now three days later. It's yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's 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 a long nurse. Former barista here. Yeah. Hey, me too. A, yeah. That's right. Yeah, we both we both made coffee mm-hmm. for for a, a chunk of time. Mm-hmm. Just that you did it in um, Starbucks, which, as we all know, is um, what I, I I'm trying to think of a better word than um, uh, slave camp. Oh my God. You know, can you edit that out? You're not going to no. edit that out, are you? No, no. no. <laughs> Let's let listen. I have nothing. I have nothing against Starbucks, other than the fact that there are plenty of other types of coffee that I would prefer over Starbucks. But I like Starbucks. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with Starbucks. But if you put like three different options in front of me and one was Starbucks and the other two were not, the chances are is I probably would not choose Starbucks. We'll just rate this episode M for immature. Probably the best thing to do. That's how I edit. Probably the best (laughs) thing to do. Yeah. The thing about about Starbucks that, that just makes me like scratch my head is that, and you probably would know this, is that, you know, you, you like as, as some, as a customer, if I, when I look behind the counter, and I see the way that people are working sometimes and whatnot. It just seems very um, driven, serious, you know, like, like I just, I just want to be like, Hey, 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 chill out. You know, I just, I just yeah. want a coffee. Yeah. You know, with me, I, you know, with me, when I worked at Starbucks, I was very relaxed. That's good. Like I would, you know, I wouldn't drag my feet, but I would, you know, I would take my time. And I'm like, do you like, do you want it done right? Or do you want it quickly and taste horrible? Yeah. And I, you know, if you wait the extra minute, you're going to get it better and you're not going to complain about it. Exactly. So exactly. And then, and then, you know, you, you develop a rapport with the customers. Like it's it's not so much about the drink. It's about the environment you set. It's the, it's the connections you make with customers and you know, it's the, and that's, what's going to cause them to come back. You, you would have been the star barista at my coffee house, which was in Hopewell. Mm -hmm. You, it's now the borough bean. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the time when I was there, it was down the street a little bit more. It was called Falcha, mm. um, and uh, my my bosses, Gene and Chris, man, they were they were lovely people, mm-hmm. and um, it was you know customer service was number one. But because it was a local coffee house, you knew that customer service, and again, this kind of goes to good sportsmanship, is mm-hmm. about building that rapport, mm-hmm. and and. 90% of the customers that would come in, especially during like the morning rush and whatnot, mm-hmm. they literally just wanted a small coffee with room for, with room for milk. And, you know, it was, I think at the time, I think it was like a dollar 25, mm-hmm. which included the tax and whatnot. And you, they would come in small coffee, room for milk. There you go. You, you know, you, you push the thing down and, you, and next thing you know, they're out, they're out the door, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then, you, you just develop the rapport with people where you see them and it's like, Hey, how you doing, man? And then you just, you, they don't even have to order. You're just automatically, you know, getting them a latte to go, Yep. you know, and, and you don't, you know, it's, then you're, you're chatting with them saying, Hey, how you doing? You know? And yeah. it's, it's, 
it, it was it was as much as I hated the you know working the morning shift and the morning rush. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get into a groove and you see all the people there who are, you know. Oh, morning crews are great. Yeah, and because because okay, yeah, you're gonna have a shift of people who don't want to be there in the morning, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you're gonna have a much larger group of people who are happy to be there. Right. You know, I think the people who don't want to be up in the morning are probably not going into one, the coffee shop. Right. One of my one of my coworkers every so often would say, uh, "Hey, Bob, give me a number from one to five. Uh, three. That's correct. Here you go on the house. Like, you know, like something like like that. And he was like, really? Yeah. And that's the stuff that makes them come back. Like, you know, doing that once in a while is great business. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it just makes it more fun and lighthearted. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, uh, the thing that got me going a little bit was, so we had, uh, live music at the coffee house on the weekends, usually like Friday and Saturday nights, we will be open mm. late. And this is when I was getting, I was breaking into the business and my band would play there from time to time. And um, people would, would, would know me from that and from working behind the counter. So, you know, there would be, there would be a, a discussion of music while we would be making the drinks and whatnot, you know? So it was just, it was just a, um, a happy environment where you, you almost forgot you were at work sometimes, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and that made it uh, bearable, mm-hmm. you know, and then credit to my bosses as well. Um, when I was breaking into that business briefly, you know, they, Jean, who was the wife, she, she would ask you like every couple of hours, you hungry, you want something, you know, and that would make you a sandwich not charge you, you know, and like, like would, would make it a point to say like, you know, we have to take care of our employees as well. Yeah. You know, and we just, yeah, you need a sandwich. Go ahead. You know, it was, you know, I worked with a girl when we would work a lot together uh, during the summer when it was like dead sometimes in the afternoon Mm -hmm. and we would, you know, it would be like three, four o'clock in the afternoon and there would be nobody in there and it would be, you know, really hot and the air conditioning was not central air and whatnot. So we would, we would get to like that four o'clock part and we're just like, this is boring. And we, we, we got to a point where we just said orgasmic brownie, orgasmic brownie. <laughs> so we would get a brownie and we would warm it up and, you know, you would put the whipped cream and stuff all over it, you know, and, and we would, <laughs> we would just treat ourselves to a dessert at four o'clock. Great. You know, and we got, you know, we, we basically were just like, let's go sit on the couch, you know, chill out. We literally, if some, we see someone coming in, we can get up and run behind the counter. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So it was, it, was, it was a good time. It was a real good time. Sounds good. Uh, yeah. So, all right, we got to do this podcast. I guess so. That's yeah. what we're doing now, right? Yes, that, that's what this is. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so we got three quick stories we want to get at you. Uh, we, you know, I was, I was combing the 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 interwebs because we've had as we've as we've ended the regular season in major league baseball and whatnot we had we had some uh some ejections and some disqualifications that could be talked about significantly but i kind of cherry picked a little bit at the at, at the stories that i felt were the most unique because if not we'd be here all day and we'd just be rehashing the same thing over and over again right um so you want to start with 
the one that you sent me if we go in sure. chronological order. So, so this story, Sean's got this one and he sends it to me, I think I've, hours I after we, after we yeah. walked off the golf course. And I found it on, uh, I found it on Instagram. Okay. Um, it was an ad for this device, this product called the Mulligan Genie. And what it is, it's a, it's a device that you strap to your ankle like underneath your, underneath your pants, right? Underneath your golf pants. And there's a little clamp on it. And the clamp holds a, a, like a hidden golf ball. And so you can strap it on like the inside part of your ankle, right? Like right near, right near, um, like right on your leg. And then with your other foot, you can, if you're having trouble finding your ball that you lost with your other foot, you can you can hit the top of the clamp and it releases the golf ball on the ground next to your shoe and we and for those of you who remember the film the bond film goldfinger you remember that when goldfinger lost his ball and odd job was step was, was he stepping no he no. he dropped it in his yeah. through his pant leg and he and he goes aha yeah right so and meanwhile, Bond was stepping on it the whole time. Exactly. Right. So, um, but this is a device. It's called the Mulligan Genie that sells on Amazon for $19.99. And it's uh, under the description of the Mulligan Genie. It says, take a free drop with the first Mulligan providing golf product dropping balls out your pocket and pretending that shot didn't end up in the woods is a thing of the past. That if you're going to <laughs> stop on. right there while I just listen to that sentence in my head one more time, dropping okay, balls okay. out your pocket and pretending yeah. that shot didn't end up in the woods. This is a podcast, thing of the past. <laughs> this podcast is rated M for immature. If you're going to cheat, let's do it in style and without getting caught. So, hold on. Okay. So, um, I found this article on golfmagic.com, which is sort of like a news and reviews website, um, travel tips and instructions and all that stuff. And the title of the article is The Mulligan Genie, The Cheating Device Blowing Up on Social Media by Jack Seddon. And um, he goes on to say, like, it's gotten, it, it is amazing how much traction this product has gotten. Um, but there are people that are, that are angry about it. Um, you know, uh, videos of the Mulligan genie have been circulating all over social media on Instagram and Facebook. And while most people are using it as an opportunity to tag their mates, some are furious that a prod product like this exists. If I ever caught someone using this against me, it would be the last round of golf they play for a long time, said one angry golfer. How can products like this be allowed to exist? What an absolute joke. And these are quotes, I think, on the Amazon um, review okay. section. Mm -hmm. A device that actually helps people cheat. Now I've seen it all. Yeah. Is, is there anyone who can step in and ban this company from selling this product? To think there are people actually out there that are buying this product is pathetic. So at least, you know, it, it sounds like, this guy is is on our side with this um, in that, you know, 
things have gotten so bad that we that now people are creating a device which helps you in cheating and i mean to me how pathetic is that like well, I, I i i just i mean look you're all, if golf is a very individualized sport if you're cheating and you're playing with your friends and you you want to like screw up your score and and whatever or screw up your handicap or whatever if you even keep track of it then just be just be honest say i'm not going to play it here i'm going to move it over there like at least just just say you guys don't mind right just I mean, if you're not playing for money, right. if you're not, if like you and me, if I have a bad, I mean, I'll be honest, there have been, there have been points where I've scored double par on par fives and I'm like, I've had it with swinging this club. Yeah. I, can I just drop one here or can you just give me that? And you'll be like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's at this point, you just want to move on to the next hole and get right. it over with. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but like to do it secretly who are you who are you kidding yeah right are you you trying to fool your friends like they're your friends why would you do that first of all and you're really only hurting yourself aren't yeah. you yeah it sounds it sounds kind of trite to say it that way but it's absolutely true you know i the first thing i would say is although i understand the ingenuity that the 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 inventor of this product you know has there's there's such a there is an equal amount of a lack of originality because it came from Goldfinger. Yeah, you know, like you know, like this isn't even you know something from an obscure Bond movie for crying yeah. out loud. You took <laughs> you took an idea from mm -hmm. arguably the greatest Bond film mm -hmm. and said, "I'm going to make money off of this." Right. So you didn't even you you <laughs> didn't even come up with the idea yourself. Right. So, so that that's number one. Okay. <laughs> Congratulations on being an arranger to a composer. Right. Okay. You you formulated someone else's creativity to fit your own purposes. Not that there's anything wrong with being an arranger. When you're when you're an arranger when with music, right. yeah, exactly. That's perfectly <laughs> fine. When you steal someone else's idea for the purposes of cheating, mm -hmm. naughty, naughty. Right. You know. So like. Um, that's the thing, right? It, it's like, okay, so there, it's one thing to like bash someone else, right? In, right? in golf and say like, oh, you, you can't, you can't hit for crap or whatever, or like, you know, which just sounds very threatening by trash, the way, trash yeah, talking yeah. or whatever, like, yeah. you know, or, but like cheating is a whole nother aspect of poor sportsmanship. Like, like even if it's, even if it's hurting yourself, it's still poor sportsmanship. Yeah. Because golf is a sport. It's a sport for gentlemen. Like right. It is, it is a gentleman's sport. And you, you have to respect to some, uh, okay. You can do prison rules golf. Okay. <laughs> where, you know, I don't want to know what that is. There's, there's soap you that you count, can draw. Where you, uh, where you don't count, like, where you don't count strokes in the hazard. Right. Right. You don't. Uh, is that is that code for something? No, you don't count oh, strokes. Okay. In the <laughs> like so, if your ball like drops in the water, right? You just count the. You don't count that. 
Yeah. And you just t- you just drop the ball next to the water and that's yep. your next shot. Yep. Right. So, and if you all agree to play like that, that's fine. Yeah. Just all agree on it. Don't backhandedly or just don't make this some big clandestine operation where you're like sneaking around behind the tree and you know like uh, it, uh, yeah yeah right aha uh-huh. like you, you you like there's nothing to be gained from that yeah and you're demonstrating poor sportsmanship and even though the people you're with whom you're playing don't know that you're still hurting yourself you're hurting yourself mentally because I find Jack, and we've talked about this before that if I'm honest about every single shot, I wind up playing better. Yeah. I because agree. I know I'm doing, I know I'm doing the right thing. I know that I'm like, okay, if I'm going to be honest about my game, I know there's going to be more at stake for me mentally. So right. I'm going to really concentrate on each shot. If you're giving yourself a mulligan, on every shot like well then there's nothing at stake you're gonna you're not gonna play as well here's the other thing too golf is such an individualized game that unlike other sports the ability to play just against yourself is far greater it's not like baseball football basketball hockey etc where your opponent is the is your prime uh, competitor, shall we say? Okay, right. the ability if you can play golf by yourself, okay, mm-hmm. and that to me proves that unless you are specifically in a tournament, in a league, in a mm-hmm. situation where you are, you know, you are you absolutely have to play. 110% by the exact rules, which, it, which is not always the case. In fact, I would say is more often not the case. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to go down this path. Right. You know, you and I, when we play, we know that we're playing more so against ourselves than against each other. You, and, know? you know, and that's the thing too, like, I find that when I'm playing by myself, and I've played by myself a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, this sounds dirty. I often, <laughs> Baha, mm-hmm. <laughs> I oftentimes have a harder time with it. Yeah. Than if than if I'm playing with someone, I'll I'll score I'll score higher. Yeah. And and because it's a mental game with yep. me. I'm I know that I'm playing against myself, and that's the hardest game to play. Yep. It hands down. Because you're in your own head all the time. And if you and if you just there's you know, there's no there's no playful banter with with anyone else. Like right. you you know but if you and I are together, I'll pl- probably we build off of each other. Yeah. Like, so but we'll still follow the rules yeah. to, to 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 I'd say ninety percent of the rules. I mean, we're not gonna like do a club's length from the cart path or like, you know, we'll we'll judge it we'll, we'll ballpark it. Right? Yeah. You know, or if, if it's like, a f- if it's like a few inches away from the hole, it's, it's a, a gimme. Yeah. Right. Like, you yeah. know, like, so I think that so long as you can be consistent with each other and with yourselves, with the rules and, and just, you know, just focus on yourself. I think it's a healthy game. 
Yeah. But if you have to drop a ball from your ankles behind a tree, who are you fooling? Well, I also look at it this way. When you and I play, a lot, a lot of the times, Caitlin will join us as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right off the bat, I don't know if you know this, Caitlin is a woman. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she's not even hitting from the same tees we are. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so it's automatically a different game right there anyway. Right. You know, and when you, when you start going down that path, you realize that you couldn't, you can't compare uh, scores that way anyway, because, because she right. has an unfair advantage by those rules, so mm-hmm. to speak, or by that standard. So you're not on an, you're not on an even playing field from the get go, right. you know? So I think, I think it just speaks to the idea that if you need to cheat like that to feel better about your game, there's a lot more going on that, that meets the eye. Okay. A lot more inside your head. Yeah. You've got, you've got bigger fish to fry. You've got bigger problems mm-hmm. uh, because the competitive nature has taken over. And I'll take it one, one more step. And not honest competition. Either. Right. I'll take it one more step. When you, when, when you play golf, okay, there is a high probability, not, it's not a guarantee, but a high probability that you have the chance to consume alcohol on the course. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the most courses have a way for you to purchase beer mm-hmm. while you're playing mm-hmm. either at the clubhouse before or with the, you know, the, the people driving the carts during, you know, where that'll come around, say you guys want a hot dog and a beer, like you're at a ball game or something. And I don't know if you know this, but when you consume alcohol, uh, it can mess with you mm-hmm. a little bit. And why would anyone want to not be at 100% when they're playing golf right. if they're that serious about it? Mm-hmm. Okay. It just, it's, it's just does, it doesn't add up. I think it's dangerous anyway. Yeah. To be honest with you, if you're loaded and you're driving off the tee and you, you knock someone in the head, yep. you can get killed. Yes. You can get killed yes. with a golf ball. A golf ball, the fastest traveling golf ball is 204 miles an hour. There you go, which is the speed at which I travel sometimes on the interstate. So you get hit in the head with that, yeah. you're dead. Yeah. Instant death. Like, so you, I mean, not that, I mean, I'll probably hit it 150 miles an hour, but 140 maybe. Yeah. But like the, the point is like, and you're driving carts. Yeah. Why would you consume alcohol when you're driving? Like, isn't that illegal? Yeah. You should not be operating a vehicle like that. You know, like I don't, so I know that's one of the things I never understood and maybe a different, maybe for a different podcast, but I mean, I think that, I don't think alcohol should be consumed when you're playing any sport. I would to agree. To be honest with you, because it's a physical activity. Yeah. It's dangerous to yourself and it's dangerous to the people to people with whom you're playing. So, yeah. I don't know. I just I, No, I yeah, the whole thing the whole thing speaks to the same point that there's no reason golf of all sports has to get that competitive. Right. And I'll throw, I'll throw one more final thing to kind of wrap it up. Well, unless it's at the professional level. Right. Well, that's you're playing for money and it's right. like tournament based performance. Right. Okay. Where uh, you, where, where athletes 
condition and prepare. But well, I get your point. Yeah, let me. Well, the way I'm going to go is kind of towards that end uh, a little bit. You know, I think back to Happy Gilmore. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the idea that he, when he joined the tour in that movie, the whole point was to earn money to save his grandmother. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter to him whether he came in first or last, he was getting money. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, granted, if you finish last in every tournament, you're probably not going to earn the requisite amount of money as quickly as you would like. And there's a chance that you might not be on the tour yeah, after you, that. You the cut. Okay. Yeah, exactly. But, um, that being said, you know, it's almost like the difference between these large sums of money, you know, between first and second place, you want to be like, you, you, most people wish they could make the amount of money that the second place finisher gets in a year anyway. Okay. <laughs> Which is oftentimes millions of dollars. Right. On so, one championship. Right. Exactly. So with all due respect, and I understand how capitalism works and I understand how incentives work and whatnot. So I'm not, and I'm not going to tell anybody not to try and earn you know, the, the most amount of money that they possibly can. It kind of goes back to the whole idea. Like I remember Mike Francesa talking about it when Robinson Cano signed with the Seattle Mariners. Mm. The Yankees offered him eight years at a dollar amount. You know, the, the, the Mariners offered him, you know, a, a bigger contract and he went with the Mariners to get every dollar that he could. You know, he's like, you can't begrudge somebody for trying to get every dollar that they can. That doesn't, that, you know, that, that's not how this works in America. And I'm like, yeah, I, I understand that. You, know, you're, you have every, you are entitled to every dollar that you can earn rightfully and, and morally and legally, et cetera. Um, but I'd like to believe that individuals with a conscience would have the ability to step back and say, although I would like to get first place with millions of dollars getting second place with slightly less than millions of dollars but still millions of dollars is okay too i'm not trying to make i'm not trying to make that a mandate i'm not trying to sound like a socialist i'm not trying to do any of that stuff i'd like i'm trying to say from the individual standpoint i would hope that people have the ability to kind of step back see the forest for the trees as you'd like to say and say you know what mm-hmm. i as much as i would have preferred to do that I can still settle for this, right? You know, yeah. it's not, and, and and not make that a mandate across the board, but but to inspire the individual's ability to kind of tap into their conscience and say, "This is not the worst thing in the world." Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of like how I, I I do the same thing when it comes to some of the um, ejections and the comments that get, and we'll get into this now with with Josh Donaldson. You know, people people say like umpires don't care because they don't see understand that it's my career that they miss a call and I have to suffer because they screwed up and I want and the response to that is listen if your career is going to be judged on one call that an umpire misses where you strike out and it was not a strike do you honestly think that general managers are going to say we can't sign this guy because of that one at bat do you not think that general managers are going to be able to look at the the tapes and say we have to throw this at bat out 
uh, because because clearly he was right and the umpire was wrong. But, oh, no, it was still a strikeout, so we can't sign him. Do you really think that people are going to be that stupid when it, comes, when it comes to this kind of stuff? You know, it, unless there is a conspiracy by every umpire to say, we got to get this guy. Right. Okay? With the, with the advanced media and scouting that we have, no one in their right mind is going to say, we can't sign this guy. We can't give this guy what we feel he's worth because of that one at bat where an umpire may have missed the call. Yeah. Okay? It doesn't happen that way. And that segues us nicely into the, the second topic here. So in September, we had a situation where the Minnesota Twins were in Chicago to play the White Sox. Home plate umpire Dan Bellino, who wears sleeve number two, and is an, who is an attorney, by the way. Really? Yeah. Um, he's an attorney and he, an umpire? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, so he's, he's behind the plate, and Josh Donaldson of the Twins is up. And Donaldson is uh, a hothead. And as you will see in some of, some of this article here from, from Gil uh, at Close Call Sports, uh, it's, it's kind of messed up. And what happens is there's a pitch, there's a pitch that I think I want to say it was like a, a 2-0 pitch or a 3-0 pitch, something like that. And Bellino misses the call. He calls a strike, and the, the pitch is slightly outside. It's not egregiously outside, but by the letter of the law and the margin of error, it's probably a ball. Okay. okay? Yep. Happens. It happens. Sure. So, so Donaldson's upset with Bellino. On the very next pitch, after things calm down, Donaldson hits a home run. Okay? So you could say that that ball... Might have worked helped in, work in his favor. Exactly. Right? As, he's, as he's coming back around home plate after his trot, he specifically kicks dirt on the plate and on Bellino to basically show him up, and Bellino ejects him, and rightfully so, as if to, as if to kind of like throw it back in his face. I, now, can I say something? Please do. That's, it's never, called a podcast. I never understood that. Like you told, I think you said, I think you told me this story before. And I'm like, why, why is Donaldson upset? Didn't he just hit a home run? Yeah. Off the call that he benefited from? Like, I don't, I don't understand why he's, what is he just angry for at the umpire at, at Bellino for for not getting it for what for lack of integrity like what I mean I don't like what it's it doesn't make any under, sense I don't I don't understand that like yeah okay like I mean in a way you almost want us <laughs> because we've said this before like okay if if a losing team or if a winning team is benefiting off an umpire's missed calls, right? And I know, I don't, I'm sure you don't like me wording it like that. But, but wouldn't that team not complain 
isn't it just the losing team that should be doing the complaint? Like I've never heard of a winning team saying, what do you, come on blue. Let's yeah. get in the game here. Yeah. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to see someone who's up nine zero benefiting from missed calls, right. Yelling at the umpires, right? Like, Ex- yeah. But you, but like if it, but then we had said like, wouldn't it be great if that happened? Because then, then there would be like sort of like an accountability thing and like maybe the, maybe the team is supporting good sportsmanship in a roundabout way without being too emphatic about it, you know, but like the kicking dirt on Bellino is just completely, I mean, it's inappropriate. And, you, you know, if you wanted to express dissent or or dissatisfaction with the call you could at least say hey where'd you have that right you know just just so i know like if you're it just you know just just is that going to be like just ask him is that where the zone is or is that where the zone isn't like just just give me a heads up yeah absolutely absolutely and and I said this too uh, recently with a, with an injection that uh, John Tumpain had of Aaron Boone. Uh, you know, there's a there is a oh, yeah. th- there's the shin burner that that you know that cost that cost Aaron Judge in at bat. I said this to the guys at Close Call Sports. I said, let me tell you, the first person who knows that that call was wrong is John Tumpain. Okay, mm-hmm. is that there? When I, I bet you every scent that I have, which is not a lot, that, that you know, w- when I miss a call, okay, <laughs> I'm the first one to know, uh-oh, I think I kicked it. Mm-hmm. You know, unless it's something where it was like, I, I literally couldn't see it. You know, there was, there was a, uh, you know, there was a swipe tag that I couldn't see or a, a holding the bag, you know, something, so a legitimate thing where you, you can ask for the appeal and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, odds are, I'm if I'm the one making the call, I know right away that I kicked it. It's it's almost instantaneous. And you know, so so you don't need to remind an umpire vehemently that he kicked a call. Because odds are if he truly kicked it, he knows he kicked it. Right. And and at the major league level, as soon as the game is over and they walk back into that umpire's room, they're is information waiting for them to review their performances and know that they kicked calls and things like that. They get, they get a report pretty quickly on their strike zone, mm-hmm. you know, okay, so that they know. And, 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 and to say otherwise that they don't care is ludicrous. So let me ask you a question. Okay. Do they get reports of their strike zone during the game? No. No, they, they that could affect because that right. could affect it, right? Okay, right. No, when after the game, they get a CD that has like all the data on it that shows their, their, their you know, CD. Yeah, I think it's 2004. Maybe it's not a CD anymore. <laughs> Sorry, I don't, I don't understand technology. I'm just gonna. I'm I'm just going to go back to lighting the street lamps with actual fire and um and 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 you know say it's bedtime cuz the sun went down. God. What is this? I I got to get in the game here, okay? So anyway, 
Donaldson gets ejected. Rocco Baldelli, the manager, is kind of beside himself because the whole thing is that Donaldson got ejected early in that game, and the Twins ended up losing that game. And Donaldson's spot in the lineup came up, and like they needed him to hit there, and he couldn't. Right. So, so he ended up – you can make the argument that he ended up hurting his team and possibly costing his team the game because of his own selfishness. Mm-hmm. All right? Um, later, Donaldson was asked to explain the comments, and he ends up doubling down – on his actions, saying there's no accountability, they don't care, quote, if an umpire consistently isn't doing his job correctly, that's affecting our careers, that's affecting our success. At the end of the day, there's no reprimand, no accountability for the guys that are making the decision. As a matter of fact, they don't care. They don't care at all, most of them. They just want to get the the game over with for the most part, and it's pretty sad because guys are making six figures a year and there's no accountability. <laughs> he goes on to say, it doesn't I'm matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter to them. They don't realize we're playing for our families. We're playing for our livelihood. Yeah. How much, uh, how much is Donaldson making? A lot. A lot more A than lot. six figures. Right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, come on. Meanwhile, players aren't playing for their livelihood. Yeah. He, he well, told you're her, play, you know, Donaldson, you're playing for your yacht. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Like, really? I mean, I don't know. I don't know much about Donaldson. I don't know anything. About He's him. a jerk. He's an okay. absolute jerk. Okay. okay. So um, I don't know if he has a yacht or not. That's, that's fair. You want to retract that one? That's yeah. fair. Yeah, um, sorry. When, uh, when it, it, he basically said in that same interview, when people asked about it, he said, quote, I felt great about doing what he did. Um, and, and, mm-hmm. He basically completely ignored the fact that, and, and Gil puts it great on this article, he didn't care about Minnesota's subsequent come-from-ahead loss. All right? Later, manager Rocco Baldelli told the media he and Donaldson had a private chat about it and that he's not worried about it. Um, he, Baldelli actually complimented the umpire, saying they're a great crew, blah, 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 blah. He's just, he's just not worried about it. Instead, he actually said when it comes to addressing Donaldson's frustration, Baldelli said he's, quote, not sure what to do about it, frankly. So, so this, is, this is a situation where a young manager has to, you know, basically, you know, address the selfishness of a, quote, unquote, superstar. And it's it, it's sad it's absolutely sad so I mean, let me look, can i say something really quick you absolutely i'm not a manager i've played baseball in school but like not beyond not beyond middle school pretty much and but i but like i've managed people before right as a conductor of an orchestra of several orchestras and as a teacher the conversation could be as easy as, hey, you know, can you, you got to tone it down a little bit. These guys are trying to do their job. Right. You're trying to do your job. Keep your head down and play. Yeah. That's all. Yep. That's all you need to say, right? Yeah. Is that, am I off the mark at all? No, no, no. And, and, and I just think that. The best remedy is winning. Yeah. Like. The, I, the, the, prob- <laughs> the problem, the problem is that 
Donaldson has a lot of upper hand here because remember in, in, in sports these days, the respect for the manager and the front office and the higher ups is lost because it is the player who's making the most amount of money who lets his ego run the show. You know, it's kind of, that, that's a, that is a, a new dynamic where these, these, you know, the, 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 the players are not always respectful of their elders, shall we say. And there are a lot of factors that go into that. Um, let me Particularly read. if it's a young manager. Too. Exactly, exactly. And that's the thing is that a lot of general managers are hiring these middlemen, young managers, so that the general manager can hold more of the power and give his analytics department the, the say on how to run the club rather than letting the, the manager run the club. Mm. But that's a story. That's a separate story. Let me read to you just basically verbatim uh, Gill's editorial here. Okay. And I quote, Donaldson stated he kicked dirt on home plate and deliberately provoked an ejection in an attempt to hold the umpire to account. This is hardly a unique subject as umpire accountability is a routine theme that seems to manifest nearly every baseball season, all without regard for the playoff assignment metric or minimum performance standard. A tale as old as time, perhaps, the accountability theme interweaves with perception of bias, in this case, bias against care, apparently. But is Donaldson's objective really as selfless as he makes it out to be? Donaldson stated his apparent desire not to transition to a computerized strike zone. He disagrees with some of the robot calls, after all. After all, what could be more selfless than having yourself ejected in a one-run playoff push game only for the opposition to score a key run on a ground ball to your vacated position, only for the game to continue on to changing the win-loss balance of your team's disadvantage? What could be more selfless for a six-franchise player, the penultimate two, Cleveland and Atlanta, lasting less than a year each than to opt for an early exit during a pivotal game? Naturally, Donaldson's self-described righteous attempt at holding umpires to account fails to take into consideration two things. First, that a majority of his career ball strike ejections have been associated with the correct call. And second, well, Minnesota lost the game after leading at the time of ejection. Donaldson has gotten himself into multiple fights throughout his major league career, comprising the only ejections from bona fide crew chiefs, as is tradition. Otherwise, Donaldson appears keen on displacing unresolved anger issues, possibly childhood, likely father, onto qualified authority figures, that is, the younger, less likely to band about individuals. Think Trip Gibson, Toby Bastard, Chris Conroy, and now Bellino. All ball strike ejections. Donaldson has yet to confront a certain Joe West. Too much exposure there. Much easier to attack those equal or marginally higher up the seniority food chain. Certainly not within Donaldson's apparent facade of character to legitimately challenge a senior member of the staff. So newer umpires with, with less clout it is. Authority, but not overwhelmingly so. When getting involved in a fight, as in the Blue Jays-Rangers ejection, you might remember that with uh, Rudnet Odor and... Um, uh, Jose Bautista, where there was a, a the, the the fight many moons ago, uh-huh. Donaldson was on the Blue Jays team, and he quote, "It's best to stay in the background or at least in the cover of a crowd, so as to take credit for being involved, but not necessarily being the primary instigator." 
Donaldson thus says he feels great, a statement perceivably as strong as, the facade, as a facade can muster. Although I suppose we won't have to find out as long as Donaldson doesn't dox Bellino as he did Basner. Dan's a lawyer slightly out of one's league. So it just, it just goes to show you. I mean, Gill's whole thing undresses Donaldson as a joke, saying the psychology sums it up. You're going after umpires who do not have the same level of clout and experience because it's easier to take those guys down than it is to take down a true father figure. And it all sums, stems from childhood issues, probably with his dad, that, that causes this kind of, this kind of behavior. And, and like some of the comments in response to that were like, geez, Gil, you torched him. You know, like, like you, you, you absolutely murdered him. You destroyed him. And I wanted to be like, yeah. I mean, this is, this is, this is textbook. You don't, you don't say these things. You don't do these things unless you've got something else going on beneath the surface. Right. You just, it's just not how you operate as a human being. Right. No, you know, if you if someone messes up your coffee order at Starbucks, you don't go behind the counter and turn over the machines and spill everything everywhere saying, clearly, there's no accountability here. <laughs> they don't care that my coffee order could be the difference between me doing my job correctly and getting a promotion and not getting that promotion I'm making a livelihood here yeah and if i don't have the requisite amount of hot water filtered through coffee grounds to give me the caffeine and the stimulus that i need to do my job that's the difference between me getting street. yeah that's the <laughs> difference between me living uh, living in a mansion and living in a van <laughs> down by the river <laughs> yeah Oh man, that's so. Oh, talk about selfish. Yeah, you know, just so. And, and and you can read the tea leaves here. Rocco Baldelli's coming out saying, "I don't know what to do because I side with the umpires here. It's mm. Donaldson's who's the problem, not right. Bellino." Yeah. And 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 you know, you see it all the time on social media, like an umpire makes a bad call and there's an ejection or something like that. They torch the umpire with no research done on how the, the craft works. Mm -hmm. You know, like, 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 you know, John Cruck wanted to eject Joe Westrom again because of the fact that he properly administered a rule on interference, you know, during, uh, during a game. Uh, people, Paul O'Neill wanted to eject John Tumpain from the game when he missed a call on Aaron Judge recently. Okay, they're just they're just, they they want umpire accountability when, when only when it behooves them to you know and their team. When in reality, when you step back and look at the percentage of correct calls and how rules are administered, these guys get it right more than 90% of the time, probably closer to 95% of the time when it comes to judgment calls. So anyone who disagrees needs to take a step back, cut back on the amount of coffee, stop flipping the coffee over at Starbucks, and just chill out. You know, it boils down to 
no pun intended, Baja. Ah. It bl- <laughs> the French. You know, if someone just listens at our podcast right when you go, nah, yeah. they might want to turn it off. They're, they're, we, uh, we, you got to be with us from the beginning. Right. You know how this works. So, so my take on this is, you know, umpires, a job of an umpire sort of parallels in a lot of ways that of a sound designer or an audio engineer in that no one notices when you do a good job, right? No one's going to say, wow, you got 95% of those calls right. Nice job. Right. You know, like, wow, you really made the game special. Like, if I'm writing music for a game or an advertisement or something and it's on TV or it's on, you know, whatever, and people are listening, they're like, wow, the music sounds really good. Well, no, I mean, you're not supposed to really notice it right. too much. I mean, it's supposed to be background. It's a thankless it's supposed, gig. Yeah. It's supposed to be, in, it's supposed to enhance right. the, the, the advertisement for which it was written. So like, much like, an umpire's good job is supposed to enhance the ebb and flow of the game. But the (laughs) instant an umpire misses a call, everyone and their mother knows about it and everyone instantly just attacks them. Like if I, if I make one bad, if I write one bad note in a piece of music, everyone's going to know about it. Yeah. And it's, there's really quickly, there's a game uh, that I played recently um, for all you gamers out there called Dragon Quest XI for the PS4. And the music is, was written well, but it was written, but it was like all MIDI sounds, but it didn't quite jive with the beautiful background and animations right. of the game. It was an RPG really like, 200 plus hours of gameplay. Yes, I have no life. That's okay. Neither do I. So, so, but a beautiful, otherwise beautiful game. But when this music started, I was like, what is this? Like yeah. immediately I noticed this is bad. Yeah. Like what happened? And apparently the composer didn't segregate the rights to, like they, he kept the rights of the music. So they had to use like, MIDI versions of his music in the game instead of actual orchestral or updated samples. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, not to get too into the weeds with it, it was really noticeable when, <laughs> yeah. it was, when it was bad. And I was just like, what is this? My God. But if the music was integrated a little bit nicer into the game, it would, it would be, I'd be like, oh, this is nice. But I would, but I wouldn't, I mean, I guess as a musician, I would notice it more. But as the, as the layman, they'd just be like, yeah, the overall game is great. Yeah. I think the music adds to it. it. It adds to enhance it. But the minute, like, I'm seeing all these guys on, on, on Instagram and social media and reviewing this game, and they're like, the music is terrible. And, they're, and like, I'm not a musician, but I know this music sounds terrible. Yeah. Like, they know that it's bad, right? So I feel like with something that's supposed to be done in the background because no one goes to a game to see the umpires, right? They go right. to the game to watch the players. So 
the umpires are there to sort of aid in the ebb and flow of the game with, with good calls, with, with a good performance. But the minute something goes south, every, they all hear, like everyone has something to say about it. Right. And that's like sort of the, unfortunately, the nature of the gig. And I mean, should it be like that? Uh, well, I guess it naturally has to be. But I mean, if you want to go out of your way and say, thank you for doing a good job. Hey, that would be nice every once in a while. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure. And I'm sure there have been players that have appreciated umpires, an umpire's job. I mean, I, I can't think of any off hand. I don't know if you can think of any positive examples of there, player complimenting an umpire. Listen, there are plenty of times when it happens more so behind the scenes when when they realize that you know they they can't you know the umpires are doing a good job and whatnot um it, it doesn't make it out to the public that much and and your thoughts reminded me of an article i recently read uh this was written by tim kirchin uh for espn it's about it's about joe west mm -hmm. okay and i'll try and sum up the article as best i can um he there was there was a there was an Kirchin interviewed him and whatnot and talked and they basically talked about like what people feel about Joe West and how Joe West responds to that kind of stuff and it's a great article because it talks about the the dignity of umpiring and the best thing that I can tell you and I I take this into my life myself and I I think more people need to take this into their life Joe West's whole thing is would you rather do what's popular or what's morally right. And you have an obligation as an umpire to do what's morally right for the game of baseball than to do what's popular. And there's a lot in my life where I, I feel the same way. It has nothing to do with baseball. And I say, listen, I can't subscribe to this popular view. I have to do what's morally right in my eyes. I have, to, I have to remain true to my integrity. And you don't have to agree with it. And I'll accept, you know, the dissonance that occurs because there is a disagreement, you know, but I would rather stay true to myself and accept negativity from another person than to just kind of succumb to the pressure and do what's popular. Um, here are some of the quotes. Kirchin interviewed some players and whatnot, and, and in some of these quotes, the players, uh, former players, everybody chose to remain anonymous. So one former player anonymously said of Joe, quote, if murder was legal, some days I would kill Joe. I mean it. One day he's arrogant, vindictive, a jerk, a guy who really believes that 50,000 people came to the park to see him but he's a different person every time you see him. The next day, he is joking with you on the field. He's charming. You want to go have a beer with him. Um, Joe West is just, he's just a funny, sarcastic dude, you know, and people, I think, just don't understand that about him, hmm. you know. Uh, since, since, the, since the podcast is already rated M for immature, I'm going to tell you this story. He got, since he's Cowboy Joe, mm -hmm. he's, he doesn't ride horses, though. 
And he told this story. He goes, I once rode a horse all afternoon. A professional photographer took a picture of me on the horse. He said, look at the prick on that horse. I said, I said, it's a mare. He said, I know. Look at the prick on that horse. <laughs> and, and, and here's how serious he is, okay? People don't recognize this. He will take off from umpiring a series to go visit a sick friend. He spends time helping the widows of former umpires. He donates heavily to charities and loves children. He said, I always carry a box of Rawlings baseballs in my truck, just in case I meet a young kid. And these are major league baseballs that have no signatures on them. They're not used, just a, a box of major league balls. He says, I give them away. I don't sign them. These kids have no idea who I am, but it really tickles them. Mm -hmm. um, So one manager uh, anonymously said, sometimes Joe West likes uh, the villain role a little too much. West responds by saying he's never missed a call. But, it's, but, but here's how he explains it. He says, my fourth year, then Padres manager Dick Williams comes out of the dugout to argue a play. And he says, just tell me you missed it and I'll go away. I said, I've never missed one. Williams said, you can't be that arrogant. I said, that's not arrogance. I don't call them all right, but I've been out here for all of them. <laughs> and, 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 and here's the, the thing I love, too. How does West answer those who say he is arrogant? Quote, I don't have to answer, he said. Most of them don't have the guts to say it to your face. And that's the truth, is that when people belittle umpires and whatnot, I have to say the following. How many, other than like Mike Rizzo, who we discussed in a previous episode, Mm-hmm would have the ability on the street or whatever to say, you know, to say to Joe West, you're a terrible umpire, you're arrogant, you, you know, like, like basically like hurl all these insults at, at him. Mm. And Joe's correct. They don't have the guts to do it. They, they might have the guts to do it anonymously. They might have the guts to do it behind the screen of a computer with, you know, with a screen name uh, assigned to their quote without actually you know, knowing who, who it said it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, he says what's on his mind. He doesn't care how people take it or the trouble it might cause. And, and like, we, we talked about Joe West's comments when it came to the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Well, this article expands on it. And he says, you know, the, the quotes that, were, that he took heat from were the following. From way back when. He said, From quote, which he took heat. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being me. Mm -hmm. he, said, he, he said the following about the coronavirus beforehand. He said, quote, Those statistics aren't accurate. I don't care who's counting them. When country music singer Joe Diffie died, they said he died of the coronavirus. But he had stage four lung cancer. The coronavirus may have accelerated his death, but let's be realistic. He said, he continues by saying, our system is so messed up, they have emptied hospitals because there's no elective surgery. The government has been giving those hospitals extra money if someone dies of the coronavirus. So everybody that dies is because of coronavirus. I don't care if you get hit by a car, it's coronavirus. Okay. Now, what got less attention was where he said the following in the same interview. He says, quote, I'm being cautious just like everyone else. It's not like I'm going to go out in a crowd of people. 
baseball is doing the right thing, looking out for those guys and giving them a choice. If you're not comfortable and remotely concerned, you're doing the right thing by opting out. This isn't the kind of job you can do while worrying about everything else happening around you. You know, he's, he, he, and then he continues and he says, the scary thing about all this is, is that a good athlete can get the virus, never get sick and pass it on without knowing he ever had it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's so, so he, the quotes show that he is concerned. He's just, you know, and, but it's the part that was quote unquote controversial that got told to the public. Mm-hmm. You know, he said a lot. He said, he said, everything got taken out of context. I never said it wasn't important. Health and safety is all that matters. You know, I just said that some people could have died from something else, you know? So, so, uh, you know, he, he goes on to say, uh, let's see here. Joe, uh, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a, now here's a quote from A's manager, Bob Melvin. Joe has his own style, he says. Once you understand that, everything is okay. He's from the old school. Sometimes some guys just do what they've done their whole career. I respect him. When I got fired in Arizona, one of the first people who called me was Joe West. I was not expecting that. Mm. This is the guy who threw me out of a game when I brought the lineup card to the plate. Joe is Joe. You can't fight him. So, so nobody knows that when Bob Melvin got fired from the Diamondbacks, the first person to call him was umpire Joe West. Mm. What does that say? Cardinals pitcher Adam Wainwright said this, quote, his strike zone is as consistent as any umpire in the game. There are a few umpires who make you think, quote, what is going on in that head of yours, end quote. But that's not Joe. He deserves a lot of credit. And in the field, he is consistently consistent about consistently making sure that every rule is consistently followed. (laughs) You know? Um, Joe says... A manager once told me, oh, you want everyone to know you're here. And I, I responded, no, I've been here for 40 years. They already knew I was here when I walked out on the field. <laughs> you know, like, 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 he, he, when people, he, they ask him if he's vindictive. And he says, if you want to be vindictive, you're cheating the game. If someone does something to you that makes you feel like you have to do something back to them, you should have just kicked them out. You're the official authority of baseball on the field, and you were the only official authority of baseball when the games start. Here's another thing he says. I don't put people in jail. The judge is sitting in the room. He gives you his ruling. You say, you're an a-hole. The judge is going to put you in jail. I can't put you in jail, but I can kick you out of the game, and that's part of the fabric of baseball. You have certain rules and regulations that you have to go by, but to be vindictive because you didn't like what somebody did, that's being dishonest to the game. You go into the game, you know, if you go into the game because you want to be liked like this, you, you pick the wrong profession. If you, the guy who, say, who says, I hate Joe West, the guys who say, I hate Joe West are the ones who want you to work their playoff games because they know that I don't have any favorites out there. Hmm. Okay? He said, I say this to every young umpire. As an umpire, you have three responsibilities. First is to the game of baseball. Second is to your profession. Third is to make a call that is morally honest. If you do everything in that order, nothing will ever be wrong. Hmm. You know, there are very few people who legitimately don't like him. Um, And the thing, like, then the article goes into, like, the things that Joe West has done on the field that has gotten him suspended, mm-hmm. but he talks about why he did them. So like in 1999, he was suspended for throwing a pitcher to the ground during a brawl. 
This kid, Dennis Cook, was, th- was beating a kid half to death on the ground. I pulled him off the kid. I had him from behind. He took a swing at me. He didn't know it was me. When he did, I just threw him. He went head over tea kettle. When he went down, I went right over to him and said, I'm the guy who threw you down. Now calm down. I'm going to have to throw you out of the game because of what you were doing to that kid. Now he got suspended for that. Mm. But he was, do- he was defending this kid, you know? Uh, he got suspended for shoving then Braves manager Joe Torrey once in 1982. Hmm. Torrey followed them, him off the field, and they, followed, they, and, and they followed him to the umpire's room, and he pushed Joe back and said, you can't follow us here. And yet he got suspended, okay? So, so it's, I, I, you know, I, I, I will save everybody the rest of the article you know, a lot of, there's a lot of other quotes and a lot of other stories. You know, I'll say this. They asked him about uh, if he loses sleep when, there's an in, when he makes an incorrect call. And he says, this is what people don't understand. When an umpire has a bad night, he goes back and looks at it. There has to be a reason you miss the call. Three ways you can miss a call. Lack of concentration, lack of positioning, or lack of timing. Okay? And he goes, they... They're, they they, they, they grade you on these calls. You, you, know, you, can't, you don't have recourse. You don't get to go out and hit a homer because you, stru- you made a bad call. You know, it's, it, it, it just goes to show you that, and he says here, he, this is the greatest thing. People don't understand that umpires are human beings. Their feelings are just like normal people. When they fail, to do, fail in what they're trying to do, they hurt more than anybody. He talks about Jim Joyce with the Armando Galarraga thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, he said, situation dictates everything. He, here's a great story about in 1999. Garth Brooks signed a contract with the Padres to play in a spring training game, okay? <clears throat> they were playing the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Padres manager Bruce Bochy puts Garth Brooks in as a pinch runner at first base. Then this left-handed pitcher picks him off of first. He was out from here to there. But first base umpire Ed Montague called him safe. Mark Grace, who was the, the, uh, the Cubs first baseman, started laughing. Garth got up and hugged Ed Montague. After the game, four or five reporters came to talk to Ed, and he said, I can call Barry Bonds out. I can call Mark Grace out. But if I call Garth Brooks out, I can't go home. Okay? <laughs> So, so, so there, there, there's stuff like that, you know, and to kind of tie it back into golf, he says the average person thinks that umpiring a game behind the plate is easy because umpires make it look, look easy. He said, it's like golf. The first time I saw Ben Hogan or Sam Snead swing a golf club, I thought that looks easy. My dad said, don't ever believe that. That's like people saying I can ride a horse like Clint Eastwood. You can't. That's Clint Eastwood. And you're never going to ride a horse like Clint Eastwood. I don't care who you are. Okay. Um, so, so it's, it just, you know, and then he talks about the, the incident that I love where, uh, Nelson Cruz comes up during the all-star game and has Yadier Molina take a picture with them, hmm. you know, and whatnot. It just, it just, it, there's just a lot of good stuff. And then as he's leaving the interview, Kirchner notices this, he leaves the interview 
and he heads for his truck. And on the way in from when, as he's leaving out is our, our father, two sons and their grandmother from Philadelphia. They're in Florida at the time. He goes, Wes goes to his truck, grabs two baseball, crouches down as he does behind the plate and presented the young boys with baseballs unsigned. They were thrilled. So here's a man who, who, who gets it. And, Hmm. you know, it's just, it just speaks to everything that we were talking about here about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, We've kind of got sidetracked a little bit, but uh, you know, uh, I want to I want to talk about one more thing before we close up, just because we were we 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 talked about talking about this beforehand. I just want to get it in real quick. Sure. Um. So you recall the uh, the situation with the uh, Rays and the Yankees earlier this year where there was the beanball war and Aroldis Chapman threw at Mike Brasso's head yeah. and, you know, and all that was stuff. It was at the start of the season, right? It's somewhere in the middle of the season, I was think. Okay. Yeah. But it goes back a couple of years too. Yeah. So in the post game, uh, interview with the press, Kevin Cash said some very, very threatening things. And, you know, it was pretty bad what he said. It was, it was not good. You know, he said things like basically threatening the Yankees where he said, I've got a whole stable of guys who throw 98 miles per hour, you know, like, like threatening the Yankees. Mm-hmm. So when the Rays clinched the Eastern Division uh, this month, he handed out T-shirts and hats that had stables of horses on them and like the, the Tampa, Tampa Bay 98ers on the hat you know, in order to pay reference to all this stuff, you know, and I think it's just the the point I want to make about it is to say to Kevin Cash, what you said were threats that got you suspended. Okay. They are, they are bad things to say. Mm. It doesn't look too good to then use that to help you celebrate when you clinch the division. Right. Okay. Yeah. It sort of puts a little, sort of, I mean, it puts a damper on it. Yeah. At the very least. Yeah. I, I, I just don't, you know, listen, everyone, I, I'm not going to, I'm not coming down on Kevin cash for saying what he did in the heat of the moment, even though I don't agree with it. Okay. I'm using, I'm going to use empathy here to say, we've all said things in the heat of the moment. We shouldn't have said, mm. um, but to bring it back up again later, in this manner, I think is that's not, deliberate. It's it's not good. It's yeah, not it's, good, and it's deliberate. Yeah, like you're when you're if you're in the heat of the moment, you don't know what you're doing, right? And you let the adrenaline take over. But when you've gotten a chance to collect yourself and then say it again, yeah, deliberately, then yeah, well, you have a problem now. <laughs> Maybe it's deep rooted in something else. Yeah, you know? like like you had said before. Uh, it's one one person comments on on Twitter about it by saying, "I see the Yankees are still living rent free in every Ray's mind." You know, like, and that's a great point to say. If you you know, it would it would have been better to not do this, not because you're not you know using this classless way about it of of bringing this whole thing up, but instead by saying. Put the Yankees out of your mind, you know? Right. That's move uh, Yeah, move on. move on. They celebrated the division title by focusing on the Yankees, you know? They're, you know, they're, they're bragging about winning a division in a 60-game season, you know? It's, it's 
one person quotes, imagine being proud of, of a manager threatening to bean players. You know? Yeah. It's, um... One person says this. This is actually, actually a pretty good one. Someone should remind the Rays that in their 23-year history, they've won three division titles during full game seasons versus the Yankees who have 13 in that time. Also, Tampa Bay has zero World Series since 1998. The Yankees have four, 27 total. Like, I understand that you're, um, you know, you're trying to puff yourself up to compare to that, but the point is well taken. You know, be happy you won the division in the season. Celebrate that. Don't, don't turn it around like that, you know? So it's just, it's, it's just, it's sick. <sighs> yeah. You know, well, I think, uh, I think that's a great way to, to awkwardly stop the conversation. To put a bow on it. Yeah. Because we're, we're, you know, I, you know, we just I'm definitely, tired. yeah, me too. <laughs> me hey, too. We've been going for like an hour and 40 minutes. Oh God. We'll never let this podcast on streaming sites. <laughs> which by the way we our podcast is now available on a lot of other streaming sites oh yeah uh like pandora and okay. iheart radio and things like that so you, you have can, to take an extra long breath before you do your traditional closing remarks i don't want to okay i'm just not gonna i'm just gonna assume at this point people should be smart enough to know that they should be listening to this podcast everywhere right arrogance baby <laughs> President of the Yosef Foundation, right here, all right? <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, yeah, let's wrap it because we're tired. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, it's been great. And, uh, I, you know, we, I know we rambled on, uh, rambled on but uh, we, we, okay. got a lot, we got a lot of good stuff done today. Yeah. And uh, we're set for another couple of weeks. So, everybody, uh, enjoy October. Enjoy playoff baseball. Uh, enjoy the changing of the leaves. Um, you know, and, uh, and, and enjoy what you got because, and get as many rounds of golf in as you can before it gets too cold. Oh, well, well, I'm doing it right now. So, uh, so again, everybody remember, uh, osifoundation.org podcast at osifoundation.org, facebook.com slash osifoundation, Twitter, Instagram at osifoundation, hashtag how you play the game. Sean, thank you as always. Of course. And, uh, until we talk again, everybody. Make sure you treat each other with respect. How You Play the Game is a production of the OSIP Foundation, Incorporated. The producer-engineer of this episode is Sean Ryan. Music by SoundSpring Studio. The executive producer of How You Play the Game is Jack Furlong. For more information, visit osipfoundation.org.